The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Film Jitsu, the podcast that wields films like deadly weapons. We are your hosts. I am Mike. And I am Jay. On this week's episode of Film Jitsu, Jason got to spend a little bit of time with, I guess, an all-time classic, a real <laughs> banger of a film, a movie that I know he was excited to watch. We're talking 2007's Bratz, that's with a Z. Before we get into it, though, and I can't wait to hear what Jason has to say, <laughs> let's go ahead and for some ungodly reason, roll the trailer. Four inseparable friends are about to discover oh, high school. Hi guys, I'm Meredith, student body president. There are 48 distinct cliques. The goss, the skaters, the nerds, the disco dorks, the football jocks, the loners. Leave me alone. I have the seating charts right here. I think we'd rather sit together. But the lunch courtyard isn't organized that way. Don't worry, we'll figure something out. Hey, what are we gonna do about them? Nothing. My system is flawless. Hey, Jane, come here. Hey, Sasha, come sit with us. Look, girl, come check this out. We have no problems at all. What happened to us? It's the clicks. We're all in them. What do we do? We be ourselves, just like we used to be. BFFs! <laughs> now, the only way to take back the school... They had better watch their backs. You are so devious. Thank you. ...is to rule the talent contest. Show some gratitude. Well, Jay, that was about 30 seconds of your life you'll never get back. But uh, I guess so was the movie uh, at an <laughs> hour and 50 minutes. Oof. Here's yeah. what I want to say to lead us in to a discussion of Bratz. Film, Jason, cinema enriches our lives, right? It opens our eyes to new ideas, experiences. It can color your world in ways that change you, alter your view forever. Films awaken your soul. They transport you to new places and <laughs> planes of existence. They change the fabric of who you are as a human. And other movies are brats. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I gave you this film for no reason other than this is just, brats. Just to make me suffer. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've had some, we've had a couple of good reasons for giving our assignments yeah, in the past. Yeah. You yeah. hate Edward Furlong. So yeah. there was that there's, you know, I you never hate British wanted to colonialism. Watch... Exactly. So. <laughs> I hate British colonialism. I never wanted to ever, ever in my life watch kids again. So I made you do it. And here we are. This was actually just because it's brats. <laughs> That's all there is to it. That was it. all there was it's, to it. It's brats. It's kind of, you know, like that, that horror movie cliche of like, why us? It's like, well, you were home. This is. This is what's happening here today. And so I asked you to sit down and watch a 2007 film based on toys. I think I didn't look yeah, into this hard yeah. enough. I have seen these creepy fucking dolls. My, my daughters years, have a couple yeah. of them. They're terrifying. Yeah. So when I found out, oh, there's a movie. Oh, there's a live action movie. <laughs> I don't need to know anything more than that. Jason's going to do the homework for me. I think that what it, when you told me that I was going to be watching Bratz, I did think it was going to be a CG type uh -huh. movie. Yeah. And then I was I was surprised when you said it was live action. I didn't know. 
that there was a live action movie and that's because this movie made about 12 cents at the box office it was a it was a pretty titanic flop it's directed by a guy named sean mcnamara uh-huh who i guess he kind of has become he's found a niche where he's become sort of a uh, a faith-based family oh filmmaker like that that's his that's his niche right like okay. that's what he does and so I don't know where Bratz really falls into that. I was kind of watching it with an eye toward that. Mm -hmm. And I sort of drew some conclusions as I got further on in it. But I have to say, this movie actually is really, really startlingly well put together. And I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It's like, why does this have... It has Cut the really microphone. good cinematography, really good editing, good I'm shot choices. I'm leaving the I, interview. <laughs> it it was so it was so surprising. It starts and it's split screen. There's hyper editing. There's picture in picture. It's got huge energy. I mean, yes, the girls look like they're in their mid twenties. <laughs> that but sounds it, but... like the wall of TVs at the back of the Walmart. Like. <laughs> <laughs> It does have that vibe. No. <laughs> it's as if you were really directing that wall of TVs very, yeah. very well. Um, wow. There was just a sense of vision and a sense of like, this is teen life, MTV, go. And, and it was definitely saccharine and foolish, but the technical ability was really on. The cinematographer, his name's Christian Seabalt. His resume is pretty thin, except for those 75 four episodes of CSI that he worked on as director of photography. And of course, for some weird reason, he keeps teaming up with this McNamara guy. I feel like Sean McNamara gave Seabolt his start Uh in filmmaking because the two of them kind of came up with, oh my God, I can't believe this, but Sean McNamara basically inherited the Baby Geniuses franchise from Bob Clark. So oh, you take all right, Bob Clark. I mean, talk about a guy with weird returns on his resume, right? Bob yeah, Clark, yeah. Black Christmas, uh-huh. The Christmas Story, mm-hmm. Porky's, right? Right. And then also on his resume is Baby Geniuses and Baby Geniuses Two. Yeah. So he didn't so just is it, is he didn't it Super just do Babies, that first right? Isn't that super, one? Yeah, super, super Babies. babies. Yeah. A former film jitsu episode. Once upon a time, I think. Oh wow! Wild. Uh-huh. Well. So Bob Clark has come up in conversation, but you haven't delved that far into the baby the coaching geniuses. tree. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of like the Bob that Clark Air Bud. coaching tree. You know how like there's an Air Bud and then there's an Air Buddies and then there's all yep. these movies about dogs that can talk and fly. Air and Bud shit. Golden Receiver. Yep. Right. <laughs> all of these Snow Buddies so, or whatever. Yeah. Something very similar happened with the Baby Genius franchise, and they just kept making them over and over again. And for some reason, John Voight's in like half of them. So oh, wow. we'll get back to that because he's in he's in Bratz too. We should just step back. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. Let's talk a little <laughs> bit about the rationale for bringing this thing to the screen. Apparently, yes, there were toys. I think they were originally, it was like a, an executive from Mattel sort of jumped off and did her own thing with it. And mm-hmm. it was a dud at first. And then it took off and suddenly it was just everywhere. Like mm. people liked it and I'm not sure why they liked it. I didn't read up that much on the toys. I wasn't that interested. I think that they made this movie though to take the four central dolls that they originally came out with and to give them backstories uh-huh. and like flesh, literally flesh them out. Yeah. And so 
I guess the rationale behind it was individuality. That was the the sort of idea. Each one of these characters is an individual, right? Mm-hmm. And okay, that's fine. So they take those four original brass dolls and they create this high school based backstory for them that pits these four girls against this dictator of a student body president named Meredith, who keeps all the kids in school in line for her clueless principal father, played by John Voight, okay. by splitting everyone into groups. And she I gets see. this idea from a, a like a for dummies book <laughs> that it's called How to Run a Prison. For so dummies? that just that naturally makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, at first the the brats, they actually do fall in line with this plan. They all kind of go to their separate uh, cliques. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, the, how seriously you are taking this? I am just, I cannot get enough. Look, of it. motherfucker, like you, you gave it to me. So you, now you're going to listen to it. I love so. it. You are in the pocket. You were like, you are breaking it down for me. I'm in school right now. <laughs> Chloe. She joins the soccer kids. Sasha, she hangs out with the cheerleaders. Jade falls in with the math nerds. But the fourth girl, Yasmin, (laughs) I think she's the lead character in this thing. (laughs) She ends up not really belonging, and instead she pines for the days when their interests didn't define their friendships. And after this like seriously bizarre Rube Goldberg-like series of accidents leads all the girls into an absurd food fight. They reunite and go out for the student talent show, pitting them against that student body president who then later renames them the brats. Oh, it's a pejorative. Is that, is this whole thing? The brats is not like an empowerment thing. They use it as an empowerment. thing. What a shocking turn of events because they're not belonging to the clicks. They're breaking the clicks down. And they're seizing control from the from the government there. But anyway, and then <laughs> in the interim, there's this really, really cringe romance where Yasmin gets with a deaf boy named Dylan who learns to DJ from a black music teacher despite oh, his no. disability. Oh, yeah, it's there. And, and the kid that plays him, he's actually a good actor. The kid does a good job playing a deaf DJ. Yeah. No, I'm not even lying. Like, he's good. Yeah, the kid, (laughs) he brings, like, a lot of sensitivity to it. And it's like, oh, this this guy can act. Like, he's all right. His name's um, Ian Nelson. So, and anyway, the girls, they they get into this save-the-day cooking and catering montage for their their enemy Meredith's disastrous sweet 16th birthday party. And then Yasmin discovers that she wants to be a singer despite having crippling stage fright. The whole thing comes to a head during that student talent show. It would ending... almost have to. <laughs> oh, it, it has to, because this is the kind of ending you don't see this side of a 1980s comedy. You uh-huh. just don't. They got to save the ski lodge. Way too much good singing, way too much choreography from all of the, all parties involved. Like, it's just absurd. Everybody, everybody meets up with a guy at the end. You know, it's just like, it's absolutely bonkers. If you think of conservative America and what they think a teenager's life should be, uh-huh. I think that's what Brad's is in many respects, because it sees teenage girls as having nothing to worry about beyond friendship and getting a boyfriend. And yeah. that's, that's pretty much all it really concerns itself with. 
And what's odd is I think in 2018, when director Sam Levinson, writer-director Sam Levinson, decided to do his own highly left-leaning version of Bratz, we ended up with Assassination Nation. Right. Which oh, is like wow. this yes. hyper-stylized teenage drama about four friends who end up fighting for individuality and their lives. Whereas Bratz is obsessed with squeaky clean conservative vision of teenage life where girls gush and giggle over clothes, boys in school, Assassination Nation veers into edgelord wackiness, yeah. maintaining that kids are obsessed with drugs, sex, and image. And social media, yeah. There are two movies on opposing spectrums, and I have a hard time believing that's just a coincidence. You know, I think that Levinson was, like, inspired by Bratz. I don't know. <laughs> they both feel super engineered for their political audience, sure, though. Sure. You know, they really do. If you needed any confirmation of that, look no further than John Voight in the cast. Like... If you want some confirmation yeah. that maybe your movie is up to some shitty politics here uh, in, in the, the you know, 2020s, John Voight in your cast is a pretty good sign that that's, that's on the menu. Well, I mean, to be fair, Voight and McNamara, like I said, go way back, all the way back to their baby geniuses pairings. Mm -hmm. But they've done so many projects together. Like he's in, I mean, to, to your point, the two men are the men behind, in part, Reagan. The biopic. Yeah. yeah. So you've got McNamara directing, you've got Void in it. But they also did Orphan Horse together, Dangerous Game, The Legacy Murders. Wait, it's I'm interesting. sorry, did they you say keep... Orphan Horse? Orf... Orphan Horse, yes. What that the is... fuck is Orphan <laughs> That's like Hotel for Dogs. What are... <laughs> that might be your next. <laughs> orphan Horse, get the fuck orphan... out of here. Did you make that one up? <laughs> How would I, I know? I How wish I was I that know? creative. <laughs> the thing the thing with Bratz that I think also was a little unsettling was one one piece of it that really was incredibly unnecessary, which was that um, Yasmin it, it comes from, I, I guess, like a sort of Hispanic background. When she goes home, there's a little bit of Spanglish that's used, et cetera. Uh -huh. uh, the, it's so crazy stereotypical, just straight up embarrassing to watch. The worst performance of this entire movie is Lainey Kazan, who's best known for playing a stereotypical Greek mother in the My Big Fat Greek Wedding oh, movies. Uh -huh. Yeah, here she plays Bubby, one of the mm. Bratz's grandmothers, so Yasmin's grandmother. She's so awful. She's actually kind of offensive. So tell me, Chica, why so happy? Is there a boy? Come on, you've been holding out on me. There's no boy, Bubby. It's Sasha, Jade, and Chloe. We're a team again. I mean, everyone at school is only friends with the people in their group, but we've decided to be friends with everyone. Well, you girls are doing the right thing. You walk into school, you socialize with each other, with everyone. You walk in with your heads held high, and you walk in with these gorgeous new shoes. It honestly seemed as though, again, like a conservative mindset uh -huh. was like, we better include some sort of other race here to show. And, and they, they did this and they had no idea what they were doing. And It's like what John Voight thinks happens in a Spanish household. <laughs> I think that there's an undercurrent in Bratz that shows... That the person that's operating behind the scenes is 
thinks differently than maybe a lot of what you see in Hollywood. The movie begins with these four girls as freshmen. And then about mm, 15 minutes in, we warp two years ahead. Uh huh. And we see how the control has worked within this group, you know, that Meredith's sort of plan for the school and keeping everybody in clicks has worked. And that keeps everybody in their, in their lane. They're all being controlled by her. It was an odd thing. It's an odd thing. I'm not, I'm not sure if Meredith sort of represents media and I mean, you could do a reading, I think where you could say that Meredith sort of represents MT, the MTV, producers the mtv generation there was i think a show or something like that on mtv in the in the early 2000s called my sweet 16 or something like that and i think they showed 16 birthday parties and that's referenced here and in fact sean mcnamara plays a producer from mtv this real smarmy like you know we're gonna make you a star kind of thing you've got star power and oh, he's feels... in the movie, huh? He's in front of the camera. Real, real brief, real brief. Oh, swell. Cameo. Real, but it's funny. Real because... Hitchcock, this guy, huh? No, it really <laughs> it puts the brakes on it. You feel yeah. like this is a forced cameo, and I was like, yeah. I bet that's McNamara. I yeah, just, I felt like it, and then I yeah. looked, and I'm like, motherfucker, it is. <laughs> so there are these little there are these little tweaks and these little messages that it's sending out. We could have a conversation about. <laughs> This movie obviously wasn't made for the Jason Santos of the world. This movie was made for correct my five-year-old, my 11-year-old, and what would this movie be like to them? I think the idea of two men our age hypothesizing what this movie is to small uh, girls probably is a waste of everybody's well, time. I don't know that no. we need to do that exactly, but the whole Bratz universe is something that I, as a parent, opted not to participate right. in because there you go. I did see a lot of superficiality i did see a lot of almost disingenuous individualism you know the bratz dolls they just kind of look like the they look like barbie went to hot topic right just because you throw some spiky shoes on them doesn't really mean that their ridiculous proportions and their obsession with fashion is any better messaging for my kids so the whole bratz thing it still falls under the category of like i don't think whatever this is about is healthy for my little girls. And so I'm not in with it. Now that's not to say that somebody who chooses to have Bratz dolls and watch the show and play with it is doing something wrong. It just isn't my brand of whiskey. Correct. That's right. And I think we all have to make that decision. And I think that that's the basis of McNamara's career seems to be based on what I've read about him is he's not appealing to your sensibilities. He's appealing to another type of person entirely. Mm -hmm. And you can you can talk to your blue in the face about all that and the differences yeah. between you and them and whatever else. But for me, and I'm I'm with you, I'm sitting on the other side of the fence looking at it and going, this just isn't my thing. But I find it very interesting when I see something like this because it was not something I expected to come into contact with. It's a $20 million production. It is? Yeah, it's a $20 million production. How much money did production. this thing make? It made 26 total worldwide, which means mm-hmm. its marketing budget. It didn't cover its marketing budget. Right. Which right. means it was a flop. There are no difference who you are. No, it's no buts, no maybes. Just follow our lead, be fearless. There's no limit. Don't you worry. Oh, ta 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 
I think what's interesting also about this movie, just in closing, because there are a few fun tidbits about it, but that Paula Abdul was apparently going to be executive producer as well as fashion designer and choreographer, but she was let go apparently because her schedule was too busy with, um, she was still doing a American Idol and expanding her QVC jewelry empire. So at that point, and apparently there was a show that Paula Abdul had that was called like, Hey, it's Paula or something. I don't know. And and she, there's an episode of it where she received the email saying that they were going to be proceeding with the project without her. And she like collapsed onto a couch and started bawling because. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, who among us isn't focusing on expanding their QVC jewelry empire? That's, I mean, if I can't relate to that, who can? Well, I know we've got that Merrigan nipple ring collection coming That's... out this fall. So, <laughs> this week's episode of Film Jitsu brought to you by Merrigan's nipple rings. Merrigan's nipple rings giving you the pinch. <laughs> five, four, three, two, one. So, I find this bottom five to be a little bit of a obvious indicator that you had absolutely no idea what Bratz was about. You just assumed because they, they were in high school, they were going to be teachers and that John yeah. Boyd was the principal or whatever. You're like, Oh, there's going to be, there's going to be something here. There, there were no teachers, barely any teachers <laughs> in Bratz, <laughs> good, great. bad, or oh, otherwise so they're barely even present. So bottom five teachers makes almost no sense. That's for this. great. As far as a pairing goes. So congratulations on that, Mike. With that said, I did have an approach with my bottom five teachers, and that was no principles. No. And by that, I mean, (laughs) Uh yes, bad teachers probably have no principles, but literally no principles. So I was ruling out a lot of obvious choices from a lot of obvious movies that I think people would immediately think of when they think of bad educators, etc. Mike, what about you? And what was your number five for your bottom five teachers? Well, uh, I managed to leave off professors, I think, for oh. the most part. <laughs> yeah. Oh. See, I, I did. did I, yeah, I tried. <laughs> I tried to go with with uh, maybe it's because I'm married to an elementary school teacher that when I think oh, of teachers, I think of I think of grade school. Maybe that's sure. why. That being said, uh, I do have a couple of high school teachers on here, and so we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, but my number five is back at number five because it's a movie we've talked about before. It's a performance we've talked about before. I don't want to belabor the point, but it is. it remains so shitty that it is worth mentioning again. And that is fucking Mark Wahlberg as a science teacher oh, in The Happening. happening. Yes. <laughs> in The Happening. That's so good. That's such Our, a good choice. Our audience has got to be sick of hearing me complain about this movie. I'm probably going to have to self-impose some sort of the happening moratorium. I'm not going to complain about M. Night Shyamalan for the millionth time, but it seems like if I'm going to have any credibility making a list of bad teachers, Mark Wahlberg as an educated person (laughs) (laughs) has to be on this list. Look, I don't know if you guys have heard about this article in the New York Times about honeybees vanishing. Well, apparently, honeybees are disappearing all over the country. Tens of millions of them just disappearing. There's no bodies, no sign of them. They're just mysteriously gone. This is scary, huh? 
All right, let's hear some theories about why this might be happening. Short and sweet there, but that's why it's back at my number five, because we've been down this road a plenty, but God damn it. <laughs> well, I too had a high school teacher at my number five, and that would be Mr. Hand from mm. Fast Times at Richmond High. It's an odd choice because when you're a kid, the speech that he gives in class is just awful and you hate him so much. But as an adult, you get a whole new perspective on that speech. You really mm -hmm. do. Ray Walston did such a terrific job of making you dread Mr. Hand earlier on. But then he also manages to do a fantastic job at the very end of the movie where you feel like, oh, this guy's all right. He's pretty great. And I think as an adult, when I watch this, I end up siding way more with Mr. Hand, <laughs> which is funny. Some of these some of these kind of change depending on what age you're at. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, my God, I, I'm on Mr. Hand's side now? Jesus. Did I do something wrong, Mr. Hand? According to my calculations, uh, Mr. Spicoli, uh, you wasted a total of uh, eight hours of my time this year. And rest assured, that is a kind estimate. Now I have the unique pleasure of squaring our account. This movie is, is one that I think still really does land that middle ground between brats in something like Assassination Nation. Yeah. You know, and obviously it's before social media and everything, but they had their own obsessions and whatnot. It just felt very honest and very valid. I recommend it if you haven't seen it, Mr. Hand at number five. What's your number four? My uh, my number four is not one teacher, but it's a lot of teachers. Oh, I know this. My number four pick is the faculty. Yes. From the <laughs> I faculty. Knew I knew it. <laughs> the entire faculty of a school has been taken over by aliens and wants to kill all the children. I love <laughs> this movie. 1998. It, it's that great late 90s tone. You know, the. It's got the self-aware meta thing because Scream happened and everything yeah. had to be that way. But it really does draw, I think, good connections to some of those earlier sci-fi films, things like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It really is a great genre flick. Yeah, it is. It wasn't all style and no substance. It is actually a good sci-fi horror, well-cast, well-made, yeah. scary it's at Robert times Rodriguez, movie. right? He did that. And it's got Robert Patrick as like the gym coach and stuff, uh -huh. right? Yeah, like, Robert I would have Patrick. Picked, that's but right. It's funny. I didn't. I didn't pick this because I thought you would pick this. So this we're, is our, great. So far, we're, we're batting a thousand here. Other. We're batting a thousand. That's good. <laughs> that's great. So choice. yes, my my number four is the entire faculty from the faculty. <laughs> I don't think it's a cheat. The only reason I didn't put it on my list beyond the fact that I thought you might put it on yours was that they're taken over. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's not mm -hmm. them being shitty teachers. Yeah. It's they're taking over. So I kind of was like, well, you know, like I, 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 I'll just say that there was another teacher that we'll talk about in a little bit where it was the same kind of thing. Uh -huh. and, and I was like, no, no, I'm not going to pick that one. But my number four is from 1978's Animal House. And it is not Dean Wormer. Oh, <laughs> because, okay. again, that's like a principle, right? So yep. even though he's the the villainous sort of educational emissary here, he's not a teacher. He doesn't apply in my list. So, in fact, my bad teacher from this one is probably considered a good guy to some, okay. depending on how you look at it. I don't think so necessarily, though. He's pretty much a dick. And that's Professor Dave Jennings, played by Donald Sutherland. Uh-huh. And, you know, for me, 
I find him smarmy and gross. <laughs> and he's the kind of teacher that any parent would dread. Yeah. The kind that'll get your kids into bed after opening their minds with allegedly big brain philosophizing and then plying them further with drugs. Yeah, he's played as a goofy do-no-harm type, but when he bags Karen Allen's Katie, I find way less fault with her than I do with yeah, him. of course. And I think yeah. the narrative tries to put all the blame on Katie. Yep. Right? And Boone in their relationship. I hate that because mm-hmm. it's it's him. He's the teacher. He's the scumbag. Yeah. She She makes a mistake, but... Yeah, but he's, he's got all the power in the relationship. He has all and he the takes power in the relationship. Yeah, yeah. Correct. So f- with that rationale, I, he lands solidly at my number four. That's a that's a totally excellent pick. I appreciate you not going the Dean Wormer route. Maybe, I don't know if it was just on the technicality, but I like that you <laughs> dug kind of a little deeper on that one and didn't go for the obvious pick. My number three is a little more obvious, I think. Uh, and And again, perhaps a bit of a cheat because... While he's a teacher, he's not really a teacher. I'm talking, of course, about Detective John Kimball from 1990s Kindergarten Cop. Cop. (laughs) (laughs) We we have an undercover police officer played by Arnold Schwarzenegger who is somehow in charge of a kindergarten classroom. And it goes the way that you would expect (laughs) it goes. And not only does it go the way you would expect it goes in all of the I don't know how to manage a room full of children kind of way, but he then also managed to endanger the one child Mm -hmm. he's in charge of. So he's not a good teacher. He's not even particularly good at copping. He's like, he's just a total problem. Those kids go a whole fucking year without learning anything, Jason. I'm sorry. I don't know. Like those kids all have to repeat kindergarten, don't they? Don't they? Like, I'm sorry. Maybe he taught them a little bit about you know, respect and discipline or whatever the hell he's talking about in that movie <laughs> with those kids. And sure. Okay. They're a wily little bunch of critters, but none of those kids learned how to read that year. They're all staying back. <laughs> yeah. He's he has, a terrible teacher for sure. <laughs> he has burdened this entire school with an incoming kindergarten class that is twice the size that it is supposed to be because nobody's making it to the first grade. It's kind of amazing just how good some of that comedy is though. It's a very funny movie. Yeah. Reitman really did. I've said this before, but Reitman really did have the the secret sauce with Schwarzenegger. Uh Uh He really knew how to utilize him in comedic roles because I think they worked on three together. It was Kindergarten Cop, uh, Twins with Danny DeVito, and then a great one, one that I like, a lot of people don't like with Emma Thompson that was called Junior. And all three of those are really spot on. And it's amazing how good Schwarzenegger is as an actor in them. And that's because Reitman had the good sense to not just cast Schwarzenegger against type, right. but he cast him in the type of character that he is and then put right. that character in crazy circumstances. In crazy circumstances, right? absolutely. Yes, he, that's correct. He, that's exactly he, right. That's why when you see Vin Diesel in these babysitter movies or whatever, and right. you know they're just stupid because... Vin Diesel wearing fairy wings is dumb. Yeah. They, Reitman never did that with Schwarzenegger. He played a cop. He played an undercover cop who was trying to keep a kid safe and find a bad guy. And unfortunately yeah. to do that, he had to, he had to hang out with all these little kindergartners. So it's, it's a very it's all- funny movie. And it's a movie that has aged well. When I 
1990, when I was younger, I enjoyed the movie. And as I've gotten older, I continue to think it's a really funny movie for maybe different reasons. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but but let's be honest. Detective John Kimball is a he's a shit teacher. Yeah, he belongs on your list for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Good choice. Well, at my number three resides two professors. <laughs> and that would be both of them from 1986's Back to School, which is a favorite comedy of mine mm. from the mid 80s. The first being Philip Barbe, who teaches economics and who apparently doesn't have a clue about how to run a business in the real world. <laughs> the dressing down that he takes during class, it's one for the ages <laughs> and proof that he's an uptight, clueless jerk. <laughs> but there's another professor in it that's completely unhinged, and that's Professor Turgidson, whose single teaching scene in the movie is damn near iconic. Is she right? Because I know that's the popular version of what went on there. I know a lot of people like to believe that. I wish I could, but I was there. I wasn't here in the classroom, hoping I was right, thinking about it. I was up to my knees in rice paddies with guns and Edward going up against Charlie, slugging it out with him while pussies like you were back there partying, putting headbands on, doing drugs, listening to the goddamn Beatle albums. Oh, oh. Anyone that tears the top off a desk during a lesson absolutely belongs on a list of bottom five teachers. <laughs> Sam Kinison is amazing there. I mean, absolutely just, yep. just so, so good. And I mean, that was a guy that was gone early too. Like Chris Farley, like yeah. Belushi, you know, is another one of these guys with just that rage energy uh-huh. that just went too. he just burned bright. He burned fast and he was yeah. gone. And it's, it's too bad. If our listeners haven't watched back to school, cause it is, it's one of those movies that, doesn't get brought up as one of those all-time classic comedies, but yeah, have got to see the movie. Oh, for sure. For sure. And it's got a, a great appearance from Robert Downey Jr. as, as um, Keith Gordon's best friend. He's a total <laughs> spaz. It's really good. He's got some good moments in it. Well, we've been a little all over the place with why our teachers are making it on the list, right? Some of them are bad at being teachers. Some of them yep. are, uh, they've bad been people. taken over by aliens. Some of them are bad people. <laughs> Uh, my number two uh, is, again, maybe by your rules, I don't know if you would call her a teacher as much as perhaps the principal, but she's certainly in charge uh, of this educational institution. Uh, I know what it is. <laughs> I am going with Mother Superior from 1984's oh. Silent Night, Deadly Night. Oh, man, you love that movie. <laughs> I, I I maybe do love the movie, but let's talk about it here for a second. This mother superior is in charge of the orphanage. Yeah. There is a kid who comes to the orphanage because his parents got murdered by a guy dressed as Santa. And she sees fit to abuse this poor kid to the point where he snaps and goes on a Santa themed killing spree. Like fair enough. Yeah. How bad do you have to be at being a teacher? Yeah, no, I, I think that is an absolutely perfect pick for this. I was looking for that level of damage being done. She's sadistic. She is to teachers what Nurse Ratchet yes. is to nurses. Yes, you're right. 
Absolutely. And yeah, yeah, maybe I did just compare One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest to Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, that's the thing I did, okay? You can send your angry emails to Mike at filmjitsu.net. That's fine. What did you see upstairs, William? Nothing, Mother Superior. Do you know what they were doing? No, Mother Superior. Good. What they were doing was something very, very naughty. They thought they could do it without being caught. But when we do something naughty, we are always caught. And then we are punished. Punishment is absolute. Punishment is necessary. Punishment is good. Yes, Mother Superior. You left your room, William. Yes, Mother Superior. Very, very naughty. Quality choice. I, I, I don't see anything wrong with it whatsoever. I think that's a great choice. I don't think you're going to get any angry emails about that one. For my number two, I went pretty straightforward. I think that this is another instance where from this series of movies, you would choose a different person. And that would be mm. Dolores Umbridge. Most people would choose her from the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. In this case, I went with Gilderoy Lockhart. From Harry uh, Potter and yeah. the Chamber of Secrets, played by Kenneth Branagh. He's pompous, he's conceited, and he's like dangerously unqualified for <laughs> the role of being Harry Potter's second year defense against the dark arts teacher. He is yet another drummer for Spinal Tap. I mean, that's that yeah. was their reoccurring gag in that yeah. is that you know, yeah. the defense against the dark arts teacher every year was yeah, either it's a not new guy. who they thought yeah. they were or something, whatever it was going to be, but that was always yeah. the trick. Branna is a smarmy. He he really gives off that vibe of yeah. being a, a it's kind a good of performance. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. But I think he might be like that in real life. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just so good. You know, he's so, he drips with so much overconfidence and it's definitely that Dunning-Kruger kind of thing where he doesn't really have anything to back it all up. He's just, he's all smoke and mirrors. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a snake oil salesman, but like keeping up the facade puts a whole bunch of children at mortal danger. You know, I'm, I'm so pleased Jay, because I was concerned we were going to make it through this whole list without anybody from Harry Potter. You have to say something. Yeah. And I thought about Dolores Umbridge, but I've mentioned her on other lists. I think. Yes, and you did. I thought about Professor Quirrell because right. you know he had Voldemort he in the back. Of yeah, the whole thing, and and so, but I I never considered Lockhart, and I think you're right. I think that's that's definitely the one. Yeah, that is definitely the, the one. He's the most dangerous, I think, of them, just through being an inept person, and so I think yep. for that reason, he belongs at number two. Well, before we talk about the people who didn't make our list, and and there's <laughs> one more that is, I think. Worth a mention that I don't think by your rules is going to land on there, but we'll talk about it. I have to talk about my number one. Okay. And I have to bring back something that I used to talk about a lot on Film Jitsu back in the day. It's time to resurrect my my longstanding film theory, which is something I call the Doubtfire Syndrome. Now, the Doubtfire Syndrome is something in a movie that may be charming and fun 
that if you actually applied it to real life, it would be goddamn terrifying, yes, right? Absolutely, yeah. That's for sure. the downfire syndrome, right? A, yeah. a guy, a guy dressing up as an old British woman to hang out with his kids mid-divorce is a terrifying real-life headline. It makes for a very fun Robin Williams movie. An Austrian accented cop taking over a kindergarten class. Terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying. Right. The downfire yeah, I, I am syndrome. in sync with you here. Perfect. Because my yeah. number one then is yep. a, a totally reasonable example of the doubtfire syndrome, yep. which is Jack Black yep. as Dewey yep. Finn in School of Rock. A yeah. movie that yeah. I love. A movie that I have seen so many times. In the year 2004, I had a part-time job in a, a video store. We had rules about the kind of movies that you could play in the store, on the TVs for the public. And my go-to in the year 2004 was School of Rock all day, every day. So I have seen That's this great thing choice. so many times. But Jack Black plays a musician who becomes the long-term substitute for this <laughs> private school music class where he is an imposter for the person who is supposed to be there because he wants to leverage this kid's musical abilities to win the battle of the bands to get back at the band that kicked him out. Holy yeah, shit. Can sure. you imagine? Can you just imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I I love this movie. I really genuinely do. But the Doubtfire syndrome alone is enough for me to put that at, at number one. If I just imagine the call from the principal, like I'm sitting here and my phone rings and it's the school principal. That's like, well, Mike, I got to tell you what happened with your kid's, uh, your kid's teacher all year long. Be like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? I would prefer he was an Austrian cop who's bad at copping. And I find out my kid's got to do another year of kindergarten. At least that guy was qualified at something. It makes sense. I mean, Dewey was inept and he was a loser. And he was a another instance where he brought children to a dangerous place. You know? so, <laughs> so I think it's a, it's a quality pick. Well, my number one diverges off course again. I did spend a lot of time with professors, I must say. I think mm. I, a, more than half of my list was professors, so I was definitely leaning into that. This is a professor that uses his advanced skills students at a Caltech-like university <laughs> to further work along on a military project that can target and kill people from orbit with a laser. Okay, that's what he did. So I don't think it gets much worse than that guy. He's using his students to advance his own government work. Uh-huh. Also, he hates popcorn. So what kind of a monster hates popcorn? <laughs> it is, of course, Jerry Hathaway, the William Atherton. Is there ever anybody that plays a better asshole nope. than William this Atherton? Is, this is your no. this is your go-to guy. This is my go-to guy. Real genius. 1985, I believe, absolutely one of my, probably one of my top 20 favorite movies, maybe even top 15. Mm -hmm. It's flirted with the top 10 at times. I absolutely adore this movie. When you said Bad Teachers, the first thing that popped up in my head was Jerry Hathaway. He is just as pompous and conceited and into himself as... Kenneth Branagh's Gilderoy Lockhart, but he also manages even to bang the head of the FBI's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got a little bit of that Dave Jennings going as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. He's a creep. 
and he gets his comeuppance in a, in a most glorious way. So I was thrilled to put him at number one on my list. It's a it's an obviously excellent selection. How could you not? For a second there, I thought your setup. You, I thought you were talking about uh, Kevin Spacey in the movie Twenty One. Twenty One, yeah, the MIT professor yep. who used his students to to game yep. Vegas. It's the and same kind of guy. Yeah. I think all of those kids ended up going to jail or something. I don't know, but yeah, the same the same kind of thing. But of course, you picked the fun one and and an actual good movie. So well done. I. I think now maybe our honorable mentions here, because it is a little surprising to me that neither one of us mentioned assistable Princeton Vernon from the, uh, the breakfast club. He's a right? principal. You, so he's off messed, my list. Right. And then, so he you mess with the bull, you get the horns. If I had yep. known you were going to have that rule, he probably would have made mine because I mean, <laughs> just what a tremendous asshole. He's a total prick. Principal yeah, Vernon for is. sure. Um, yep. I'm a little surprised that you didn't go with Indiana Jones. I thought, thought about it. I thought you were going to do that. I huh. thought he was going to be your number one, a guy that just fucks off of the classroom all the time. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. But I totally thought that was going to be something you did. The one that almost made my list that I, I kind of regret that it didn't, of course, was Miss Trunchbull from 1996's yeah. Yeah. Matilda. From Matilda. Kind of yeah. kind of the the all time classic. For sure. Horrible, horrible teacher. Yep. I, I mean, it's an, it's a great performance in the movie. I love the book. I love reading she the book. She physically to my abuses kids. children. She physically <laughs> she abuses physically, children. She it's sure like does. absolutely yeah. awful character. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I again stayed away from her because I thought that was going to be a choice you were going to make. So I, I was like, no, no, I'm going to leave that to him. I went with ones that I really felt were unique to me. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why when we ended up with ten unique ones, no overlap. Jason, it is time for our favorite new segment of the show, <laughs> Kick 2, Pick 2, where one of us presents four films, and then you and I have to decide which two of these films we're going to keep forever, and which two of these films are sent off into the Phantom Zone, never to be seen again <laughs> by anyone ever again. Uh, I don't like to make it easy. Never. Uh, and we've had some really good conversations. I'm hoping that this one is also a bit of a challenge. I, I wanted to kind of stick with the Bratz movie. Yeah. So I'm going to give you four movies from the Brat Pack. Oh. And so not just. Oh, my God. The, not teachers. You mean not like school. Young Guns? Like that? Those? Well, or? I mean, I didn't include Young Guns. I, I could have. <laughs> uh, I This past summer, I spent an hour in a drive-in theater listening to a very drunk man <laughs> recite verbatim the entire <laughs> script of the movie both young guns and young guns 2 oh it was one goodness. of the most painful afternoons of my entire <laughs> life but no young guns is not on the list i'm uh, so glad i didn't join you on that trip <laughs> so here we are here are the four films i am giving us ferris bueller's day off Oof. the breakfast club all right that's the brack back yeah weird science Oh, and the Lost Boys. Those are our four films. Ferris, Ferris Bueller's Day, Day Off and we- in Weird Science. I already got it. I'm done. Okay. Well, no, thanks everybody no for listening. This is no discussion. <laughs> no discussion because they're so they're so 
great, both of them. Like, wait, so mm-hmm. the, you had Breakfast Club in there, right? Yep, never, Breakfast Club. I never loved the... it. Never really? loved it. I've never okay. been a huge fan of The Breakfast Club. It's okay. one of those movies where I felt like I was born too late to appreciate. Okay. So when I saw it, I was too young. Yep. And so I didn't really relate to the kids. I knew the anger was real and I understood it. And I liked the performances and I thought it was, you know, it had a good soundtrack or whatever. But there were other John Hughes movies that resonated with me. And one of them, without a doubt, 100% was Weird Science. Mm. That movie is young Jason Santo. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, it is. Like, um, I would I 100% I try to create a woman from pieces yeah. of a magazine. Like, yeah. and, and, you know, this, the, it was like... It's a fever dream of adolescent fantasy, and mm-hmm. I adore it. I I think it's highly quotable. How about a nice greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty ashtray? <laughs> dirty ashtray. You know, I mean, Bill Paxton is genius comedy in that movie. Kelly LeBrock might be one of the most beautiful women ever, but she's in. And part of that is because she's so enormously funny and sophisticated uh-huh. and yet goofy. You know, I mean. Anthony Michael Hall, so damn good, you know? Uh-huh. I mean, just everything. Oh, my God. There's this one line where he, he falls in the back of the car. And Lisa, uh, Kelly LeBrock's character, is driving the car. And she looks back and says, you all right? And he pops his head up and he goes, other than the fact that my balls are halfway up my ass, I'm perfect. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, like... To me, yes, all yes. So Weird Science was an absolute have to keep it. You're kind of winning me over here because I don't know that Weird Science is going to be one of my picks. But <laughs> oh, you're the, crazy. The Bill, the Bill Paxton. It's hard for oh me to send God. Bill Paxton to the Phantom Zone. I could, I could probably recite most of Weird Science. Ferris Bueller's Day Off for me. I just rewatched it recently, so it's fresh mm. in my head and stands out amongst these other films. Yeah. It's artistic. The cinematography from Tak Fujimoto is gorgeous. Tak Fujimoto, who did, you know, Silence of the Lambs, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> like here yeah. he is doing this goofy kids movie. And it's, yeah. but there's so much, there's actual pathos in it by the there end of the really movie. Is. Cameron, yeah. I mean, all the stuff that goes on with Cameron, it's that same anger that he taps, that Hughes taps into with Breakfast Club, but uh-huh. you get it in a much more fun movie. Yeah. That yeah. that just does a lot more. It's got a lot more color to it and a lot more mm-hmm. imagination. So that's that's why I think I would go with those two movies. What was what was even there was one movie that I didn't even think about. It was the fourth the one. The Lost that you said. Boys. Yeah, no. It, you know, I love Joel Schumacher's movie. It would be sad to see it go for sure. It um, it might be my pick. But it, it, yeah, it no, might, I get it. it. Might I get be, it. Especially it might be my for pick. Hound, you, know, you know, I'm 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 with you it's on first so I'm good. cheesy. I'm, There's a lot of I'm, cheese in it. I'm good on Ferris Bueller because of everything you said. You're 100% right. I mean, oh, the performances. I, I'm a little surprised nobody talked about Ed Rooney in our bottom five teachers. Only, be, you know, he's a principal, so principal. you wouldn't have gone with him. But not only <laughs> yeah. is he not only is he a terrible principal and a terrible teacher, but, you know, Jeffrey Jones is Jeffrey Jones. And so that uh, like you yeah. lose some points for your Jeffrey Jones-ness yeah. there, too. But Well, he break, I mean, he's breaking and entering, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. There's a lot to talk about with, with, with Ed Rooney. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's an easy pick for me, I think. I have sure. to keep Ferris Bueller. Uh, yeah. So uh, 
surprisingly though, Weird Science is not a movie that I grew up with the way that you did. I knew that was going to be one of your picks because you're right. It's it's basically Jason Santo the movie. Sure. And so, fine. But The Breakfast Club is a movie that I, I keep going back to. And I, I find myself on opposite sides of the fence almost every time I watch it. Like you, the movie came out in 1985. So I was a little too young for it. But mm-hmm. when I did watch it, it was almost for me like this nostalgia thing for a version of like American high school that I never experienced. I think it's interesting for me that some of my favorite movies, you know, I love the breakfast club. I really love dazed and confused because dazed and confused is a movie that shows an experience of an you know right. American high school at a time that I never got to live. I never got to be a part of. There's something kind of romantic about it, it you know, in my mind when I was watching it as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so there's something about the breakfast club that to me was like, I was like, Whoa, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I sort of longed for an experience like The Breakfast Club. Mm. Uh, only then the more I watch it and, you know, you grow a little older and, and I found myself not really identifying with a whole lot of what The Breakfast Club has to offer anymore. Right. And then even as I get a little older and, and I don't know, maybe a little less fun, I, I even <laughs> I even find myself getting a little prickly about the, you know, Ali Sheedy becoming like having to be the princess to feel good by the end, you know, like she gets the makeover at the end and there's, that's one of those, you're like, ah, did she really have to have the goddamn makeover? You know, I don't know. And so it's a missed beat. Yeah. Yeah. It leaves me feeling a little sour, which is why I think at the end of the day, Hmm. I'm going to go with the lost boys. Lost boys. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with the lost boys, which is, Mm -hmm. I, I can't believe that I'm not keeping the breakfast club for all time. And I can hear a lot of friends of ours, like, pitchforks and torches coming my way right now i'm in the same boat as you but yeah i wouldn't either so but goddamn, if the lost boys isn't just so much fun you know how much i love horror comedy i think i think yeah i think that that's the key for you it's almost like the goonies mixed with fright night or something along those lines but with more style it's got that Mm -hmm. schumacher gloss all over it's a beautiful looking movie it's really well shot everything is gorgeous in it i mean i'm not I'm definitely not begrudging you for picking that over over weird <laughs> science. I think we're just different people, you know, and I'm, you know, at the end of the day, I would uh, I'm more of the Frankenstein myth and you're more the, uh-huh. the vampire myth. And we'll yeah. just go that way. <laughs> well, we would love to hear from our listeners. What do you yeah, think? We sure. gave you the pick two, kick two. Let us know which movies you're keeping around and which two you're going to send into the dustbin forever. Uh, let us know why I'm right and Jason's wrong. Drop us a line at uh, J at filmjitsu.net, Mike at filmjitsu.net, or over on Twitter if we're still fucking doing that thing by the time the show goes live. Who knows? <laughs> we would love to hear from you. Mike, what happens when Uma Thurman, Ray Fine, and Sean Connery reprise a 60s mod secret agent TV series as a big budget action movie directed by the guy who helmed Christmas Vacation. Oh, I hope it was an orphan horse, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be. <laughs> Your next assignment, whether you choose to accept it or not, is 1998's The Avengers. No, this sucks. not the newer Avengers, not the superheroes <laughs> that everybody enjoys. <laughs> But a movie that was nominated for nine Razzie Awards oh, no. and eight 
lesser known Stinker's Bad Movie Awards, which was a bad movie award given out between 1997 and 2007. Is that like the Diet Dr. Pib of of bad movie awards? The movie is considered so poor that it actually has a Rotten Tomatoes score that's lower than Bratz's 10% fresh rating. In fact, it's half that at a woeful 5%. Wow. I saw this one in theaters. Oh my God. And I can tell you, it's among the very worst. And all I can remember is feeling dreadfully embarrassed for Sean Connery as at one point he wears a giant panda costume. Jesus. That might not be quite as bad as his Zardoz getup, but it had to be humiliating just the same. So I mean, it must have ushered in his retirement. That I mean, you'd have to think that was he's sitting there in that panda outfit, being like, you know what, I'm done. I'm hanging it up. That's it. <laughs> oh man, I have gone my whole life without ever watching this movie. Like, not even as a goddamn goof. Yeah, it was a movie Guess I what, felt pal? pretty sure that I was like, well, I'm never gonna watch that. Why would I ever nope. watch that? Well, on God. the plus side, I mean, I must say Uma Thurman looks terrific in that skin tight latex suit that she yeah. wears. So, I mean, you've got that going for you, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. Oh, man. Well, I guess then that it begs the question, if we have to do a, this goddamn shitty Avengers movie, what is the bottom five? Bottom five agents. Okay. Take it as you will. All right. You can be clever with it if you want to. I thought you were going to just say bottom five Avengers and we're going to talk about those fucking Marvel movies. (laughs) Absolutely not. No, we're not going there. Bottom five agents. Agents. So again, take it as you want to. I mean, if you want to talk about Jerry Maguire, talk about Jerry Maguire. Oh, okay. All right. The Avengers. Why do I feel like this is a movie that when I look it up, I'm going to find out it isn't. It's like two hours and 30 minutes long. It isn't. It seems like a movie that's really long. Jeremiah Chichek brought him in quick. He brought him in quick. Okay. <laughs> Christmas Vacation comes in at a tight, what, 130? This one comes in, I think, at like a 150, something like that. Maybe even... This is the same guy that did Christmas this Vacation? This is the same guy that did Christmas Vacation. When I stop and think about it, you know, this is... this is, Christmas Vacation is like in the top 10 all-time comedies yep. for me. I love sure. that movie. Same here. Well... Well, I don't know what to say, Santo, other than you just go fuck yourself, I guess. That's you just that's what you That's can what do. you get for brats, you prick. Yeah, I guess it's what I get for brats. And there's well, not gonna be any social commentary or anything coming out of yours. It's just gonna be misery. You're just gonna yeah. be a sad and sorry person when you're all done with this. Well, because because I'm a total hack, I guess I'll go ahead and close out the show with if this is my mission, I will choose to accept it. <laughs> so well done. Here we go. The Avengers. That's Fucking great. Um, can I can I watch the Marvel movie and act like I made a mistake? <sighs> Till next time, <laughs> we've been your hosts. I am Jay. And I am Mike. We'll, we'll see, see you, you next, next time. Orphan. Are you sure it was horse? I just want to make sure we're getting the enunciation correct on that. It was it was orphan it was horse, a, right? There's it was an S orphan there. Orphan horse. It's not orphan horse. Okay. Well, <laughs> I wish good. it was. That would be a that far means, better movie. 
Well, when we finally get this production to start making some money, we're going to invest um, in, in our own yeah. production company. I want everybody to look out for the, the 2028 release of Orphan Whores brought to you by <laughs> Mike Merrigan and Jason Sando. This, this episode, if nothing, has accomplished that. <laughs>